Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hey, guys. And Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing good. I wish we would have recorded that techno beat we were just dropping. <laughs> yeah, we, we were experimenting in the studio. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be other occasions. Techno and chair techno. <laughs> well, we have a lot of cool things to talk about, but before we get into anything right off the top, I want to give a shout out. Yeah, shout out. Who are we shouting out to? A uh, friend of the show, Adam. Yeah. Yes, he watched this movie with Jason and I that we're going to be talking about today, and he gave a lot of insightful comments that have guide a lot of the notes and research that I've done. Awesome. Well, shit, I wish I got to watch it with Adam. Yeah, you lost out. And you know, when we did a Dark Song, we talked about magical thinking. So Mm -hmm. I am going to put that to the test with the show. It is my intention that at some point, Adam will be a guest on here and talk movies with us. Yes. So I have now projected that into the world, and we will see what happens. Your will will control reality and Mm -hmm. make it so. Yes. Awesome. We're going to have to plan an extra long episode for that one, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's a good man and thorough. And thorough, yes. (laughs) I I thoroughly enjoy talking movies with him. He's very insightful. We watched quite a few interesting movies, Yes, actually. One of which I'll talk about. And on that note, let's get into what we've been watching. Okay. Who wants to go first? Michael. Well, mine's probably the the most tame of all the ones. Well, you should probably go first. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, So, I actually read a review of this movie on... um, a little website that Dustin might write for. Ooh. Um, yeah, but it wasn't your review, though. Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I only write about weird, obscure Japanese horror films. So this is a 2020 film, um, an Irish film called Boys from County Hell. Oh, yeah, yeah. I read that review. Uh, Very good. Exclusive. I think I'm d- going to differ a little bit from that review. I will start off by saying I did like the movie. Mm-hmm. I really did. Um, but I didn't like it as much as that reviewer. Mm. But that's okay, because that's why we do this. Yeah, it's okay for you to be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll go into a little bit, kind of the premise of the story is that um, the legend of Dracula is actually inspired by the legend of um, Abernach, or Abertach. I don't speak Gaelic, Mm. Um, which is like the Irish folklore vampire. Okay. And Mm. so the way that they're... And, and they're trapped is basically they're buried under a cairn which is a giant pile of rocks and stones mm-hmm. um so if blood gets on the cairn it can get down into the vampire and wake him up and then wreak havoc but the stones have to be knocked over too mm-hmm. so as with all things industrialization takes over and so a road's supposed to go through there now they got to knock these stones over and everything but everybody in the town's like don't do it man like you can't it's the folklore like mm-hmm, so kind of shit ensues there and then you know a few guys start dying coming back to life kind of a thing but i think my i think the biggest problem that i have with the film is that it was billed as this great comedy oh really but it wasn't okay it really but had, it sounds like the setup to like a serious kind of fun horror film not exactly a comedy yeah and i think that was probably i had the wrong intentions going in hmm. is that i was billed and even Shudder bills it as a horror comedy. Okay. And there are funny moments. Hmm. Like, there's some great funny lines in it. But it the nothing else gelled to make it a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, the score was super serious. 
And so there were times where I felt like it was trying to be funny, but the score didn't match it. Right. And so I'm like, I'm unsure what I'm supposed to be feeling here. Was it trying to do both? Was it sort of like Return of the Living Dead? That's a good example of a movie that can be, that has some serious scares, but it's also funny as hell. Was it trying to do that? I don't think so. It really was almost, because your main character is like the schlubby guy that you never can get his life together, just always hangs out at the pub, kind of like a Shaun of the Dead type thing, Mm -hmm. but it, it didn't go there. So I'm not going to knock the movie for that because I did like it and it has some really cool creature effects, Hmm. Um, mostly shot in the dark. So you don't get to see it a lot, but it's for the better because (laughs) they look, they're convincing. Sure. Hmm. Sometimes you want to have a little bit of darkness there. Yeah. uh, There's, I will, like, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but there's this super great gag where apparently when um, the Abertak is close, it draws blood out of people. And, like, the blood rolls to him. Hmm. Mm. And it's a killer gag where they got blood just to pour out of these dudes' eye sockets. (laughs) And I still can't figure out how they did it because it looks too damn good. So there's definitely a lot of reasons to watch this movie. It is fun. Hmm. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think the characters are all really likable in it. And it's got some pretty good moments. Nice. So um, check it out. Just temper your expectations. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you should go into it as thinking it's a horror comedy because I think that's where I got a little, a little thrown. I was expecting to laugh a lot more, but and I didn't. But I mean, comedy is so subjective. Anyway. I, I do think like horror comedy. That's one of the hardest ones to kind of yeah. land. Yeah. Those those are the both the most subjective subgenres out there. I honestly <laughs> think this had a lot of like a lot of heart to it. Like you know, it was like a little more heartfelt than mm-hmm. goofy. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, a lot of fun. Now, a caveat: I did have to turn the subtitles on because this is a <laughs> Northern Ireland film, mm-hmm. and ah, they're speaking English, man. But I the the draw is so much sure that I couldn't, and I think I missed some jokes at the beginning until I was like, I just can't fucking understand what they're saying right now. Mm-hmm. So, do you think maybe there was like a, a loss in the humor, perhaps too? I definitely think like so. stuff culturally that maybe would have been more funny. I definitely think so. So, be prepared. Like if you do watch it, it's totally fine to turn on the subtitles. You're not failing as a movie watcher <laughs> because they are speaking English, but that brogue is so heavy mm-hmm. that you almost need that little umph to catch the jokes. Hmm. So okay, yeah. Kind of I'd like to give that. it a watch. I think it's totally worth watching for sure. Nice. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> uh, Jason, what you got going on? Okay, um, yeah, I watched a few movies more than normal this past week because, as you mentioned, Adam was up, and mm-hmm. you know, that's what we do. Um, mm, so I was kind of, kind of struggling to pick which movie to talk about. Give it a double. No, maybe. Okay, one of the ones we watched I was looking forward to, but unfortunately I was a bit disappointed by, was um, uh, Brian Bertino's new movie, which is The Dark and the Wicked. It just came out last year. I've heard um, people talking about that. Yeah, and it's it, it, kind of like with your movie, Michael. It's worth watching. Yeah. I, I do recommend checking this out, but again, temper your expectations. Uh, he's a great director. He did The Strangers. Love The Strangers. Was, yeah, oh, that, yeah, yeah. That was one of the few movies in recent history that really creeped me out. I think like, it creeped a lot of people. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're thinking about it later at night. You're thinking about the next week, and you're like, ah, still creeped. It's great, great movie. And unfortunately, this has not reached those heights. But basically, it is about um, these two adult children return back to their home because their father is dying. 
and they're going to go help out uh, their mother and everything. Um, the mother winds up committing suicide. Oh. And Yikes. there's this, yeah, there's something basically haunting them. Like, there's mm. kind of a a rubber reality aspect to this movie. Oh. And I'm looking at Dustin because we, <laughs> we watched a rubber reality type movie earlier. And that is the type of movie where you don't know what's real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. The characters aren't sure what's really happening, what's in their minds. Not to be confused with latex fetishes. Right, that's something completely different. <laughs> it's a very different rubber reality. I'm sure we'll get to one of those eventually. But, yeah, yeah, but different rubber reality. Yeah, but there's some good creepy imagery. Uh, it's shot well. It's atmospheric. Very, you know, kind of nice and dark. Uh, it just didn't really come together like it should have. Um, it reminds me, it's very much an exploration of grief. And reminded me a bit of like Hereditary and think movies like that. Oh, or, yeah. or The Babadook. Mm. But not quite. Very popular style now. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's worth watching, but just don't expect to be creeped out like with strangers, I think. Isn't that kind of a bummer that we've come across recently is that it's so hard when you've got a great director who's almost already, maybe already done their their peak, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean the next stuff's going to be bad. It's just you get such high expectations sure. because of the, the thing that they've done. You're like, God, this is going to be so good <laughs> when it's okay that they're not. Yeah, right. You know, like right. when you it's, put it's, out. It's an unfair standard maybe, but it's. But it's, it's hard. It's hard yeah. to, to think objectively about movies when somebody's done something so great. And then maybe the next one, just maybe the pieces didn't come together like it did for that one. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a million different things that caused it to maybe fall apart. But yeah, it's the. But it's on Shutter right now, so you know, check it out mm. if you got Shutter, and you should. It's good. If you don't it's worth have Shutter by now, I mean, just turn the podcast off. <laughs> Apparently, and yeah. again, we're not sponsored or anything. We just, we just love we it, just man. Love Shutter. Don't I mean, turn if, the. If you're a horror off. fan, it's like, it's kind of a no brainer. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> <laughs> Some poor person's listening to this podcast, like now, what am I doing? With my life? <laughs> oh no! Now I'm questioning my very existence. I don't have Shutter. I mean, I don't even, I don't remember the price, but it's not even like a full 10 bucks it's or anything. It's five dollars. Yeah, it's like so five dollars. And it's even cheaper if you buy it a year. <laughs> it's like, it's honestly like three fifty or $4 mm-hmm. a month if you just pay for the year. You know, and on top of this, I'm going to shout out to Arrow, who also have oh. a streaming service. That's also $5. There's lots of good stuff on there. We watched other movies uh, through Arrow this weekend that um, were less successful <laughs> than The Dark and the Wicked. See, I can't subscribe to that because I already own like half their catalog. <laughs> right, right. Well, you can't buy everything, so I'm sure there's some things on there you haven't seen. Yeah, I'm mad because they have that streaming exclusive uh, Did- Giallo. Was it Crystallize? Yes. Yeah, I really want to see yeah, that. Let's check that out. <laughs> um, but I bet you don't own a Blu-ray copy of Doom Asylum. Not yet. Well, then you need the Arrow streaming service and watch it on there. Mm. Do you? Spoiler, <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Dustin, what did you watch? Okay, so speaking of points of greatness followed by mediocrity. Michael. <laughs> Sorry. The, uh, My the life, next, the next entry in the Saw franchise came out, Spiral from the Book of Saw. Ah, uh, the Book of Saw. And I had never seen Jigsaw, the prior entry, and so I went on a crazy one-week bender where I rewatched the whole franchise in advance of that movie hit in theaters. Mm. Oh. That explains that dull, vacant look in your eyes. <laughs> It's because you just don't appreciate life, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> if only there was someone to show me how to appreciate life by torturing me. But no, I've, I've always loved the first few, and I dropped off with some of the sequels. I eventually gave up and didn't see some of them, or I would catch them on TV, like, chopped up and stuff. Chopped up. Huh, yeah. <laughs> Going back through them, I actually, ah, 
everyone's just going to hate me now, but I really think they're all great, even the later ones. I think they're so much fun. Okay. They're amazing. It's okay to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like, never made it past three myself. For sure, the first three make like a good trilogy. Like you could just hop off the train there and you're you're satisfied. Everything's resolved. Uh, those later ones, what they really do that I think is cool is just how elaborate they go in escalating things to keep the story going. It's like you have this character, you know, the titular, you know, Jigsaw, John Kramer, uh, which Tobin Bell's amazing as. Oh, he is great. I will give him that. That's He's good in it. And he dies in the third one, and they're now, like, nine films deep, and yet they've managed to keep, like, through flashbacks and, like, archival footage and all this stuff, they just keep keep him in the mix, even though it's, like, not his story anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like, really creative of them, the way they've mapped that all out. And of those later sequels, the one that really struck me this time is I think it's the sixth one. They do this whole angle about, like, the uh, insurance industry. Okay. The main character, the one that's being like tormented through all these tests, he runs like a huge insurance firm, and they're prized on this whole like formula they've made to like assess people and to find flaws in their documents or that they're a higher risk than they think. Mm. And by doing that, they go through and cancel people's accounts. Of course. And uh, they've you know, saved so many billions of dollars in money, and sure, they're you know so rich and wealthy and excellent. And the whole like hook in, of course, is like this in this flashback. John had come to him for like an experimental treatment and got denied. (laughs) And it starts this whole argument of like, well, your formula maybe works, but it doesn't factor in like the human will to survive. And then he gets put through traps and it's testing that very logic of like the fact that someone is, you know, desperate and wants to live pushes them to do more than this sort of like formula that just says like, Oh, you're this old, you have this wrong with you. Um, right. And that was a while ago now when that film came out and I feel like it's still pretty relevant now. Like our health industry is way, way fucked up. I feel like it's always going to be relevant for for the United States. It'll always be relevant. Um, so that one really stood out to me. I was like, wow, they're really, even though it is like six films deep, they're really pushing to kind of make a point with this one that I thought was pretty cool. Okay. Um, so all that said, those were great. Those were fun. The new one spiral actually really quite good. I thought I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I've heard um, a lot of good things. It's more of a side story than like a continuation. It's not about Jigsaw or any of his like disciples, but a copycat that kind of takes up his MO. And it's very focused on like the police and the police drama, which is interesting because the whole franchise, you've always had like detectives, the FBI, all these different people coming in. But this one actually kind of puts the camera on that. And it looks a lot about like corruption, which of course is a thing we've been dealing with a lot in the past few years. I don't know what you're talking about. Like the past (laughs) hundred years? Yeah. Um, Specifically the last four, but yeah. Last hundred? (laughs) But it really shines a light on it, because this copycat is specifically targeting cops, uh, crooked cops, and Chris Rock's character is sort of this, like, ostracized detective who, uh, in the past, he, like, snitched on a guy on the force, and now everyone hates him for that. Mm. And um, he kind of sets his sights on stopping this new jigsaw, and to, like, pick apart everything. And it gets very deep into this, like, idea of justice that's sort of all through the franchise. Okay. But I thought it was a lot of fun. It's very grounded. The traps are much more like the first few films and the big, elaborate, huge yeah. uh, set pieces. That's uh, kind of what lost me in some of the latter ones is mm-hmm. the... which Well, the suspension of disbelief just became a bit too much for me. Right. But 
I mean, we watch a lot of stuff that you have to suspend disbelief for. Yeah, but usually, usually there's <laughs> yeah. a supernatural element or something. You can just <laughs> hand wave it. But when it's a mortal person, especially a mortal person dying of cancer, but he's able to do all these expensive, <laughs> elaborate, yeah, yeah, you know, things that require psychic abilities, basically, so he can predict <laughs> the future and know exactly what people are going to do. It well, kind of beggars belief. You know, I think it's much. from that sixth film. He says, if you understand human nature, you don't have to predict. Oh, God. Okay. You'll know. Mm, right. The other thing that always... <laughs> <laughs> it always bothered me, too, that um, the high school fanboys of Saw. Mm-hmm. It seemed like whenever I'd want to... If I'd somebody was like well what kind of horror films do you like and i'm like talking about mine and obviously if you guys have listened to this show you know mine don't run that that side as much but all they ever want to talk about is the kills the kills the kills the kills and i'm like there's more to a movie than that like so i think that's where it's good to hear your take on it Mm -hmm. because i think that does give me a reason to sometimes go back and Mm -hmm. rewatch those and kind of take that stigma off because even for me what i love about it is really the psychology of it all yeah especially if you just think about like what if i was in that situation what would i do how would i react what would i try to do that's what i loved about the first one Mm -hmm. the first one kind of came out of nowhere and the first one was more of a play though man like 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 a one location play yeah i think that's what helped it you know kind of break onto the scene a little bit yeah it was a little different so yeah, love the Saw franchise. A party pooper. Uh, <laughs> even if your fatigue spirals, maybe worth a look if you've dug any of them in the past. Okay. Get, why don't you go tell the kids to get off your lawn right now? <laughs> no, there's it's it's fine. The Saw's fine. It's it's good. Get off his lawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I guess on that note. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess we'll get to our movie for the day. <laughs> and the movie for today is... I feel like it needs that intro that everybody's just like, fuck, okay, we're going to talk about this. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this. I'm excited for you to talk about it so I understand what the fuck went on in this movie. <laughs> really? Is that how you f- okay, the movie we're talking about, my pick for this week, is a movie from 1990 called The Reflecting Skin. Okay, yeah. Um, a little background on this one. Um, I saw it when it came out. I was about 16 or so. Wow. That explains a lot about your future. <laughs> uh, believe me, when I was rewatching this, I was like, oh my God, I was watching this when I was 16 and liking it. <laughs> was I always this messed up? Was I always. Oh, okay. Hmm. Um, but basically, one of the things that turned me on to this movie was <laughs> Siskel and Ebert. As much as I dog them, I remember because I used to Wait, watch the show. Wait, did one of them actually like this? They both liked it. Ooh. Especially Ebert. Interesting. Well, that makes sense. He compared it to David Lynch, but said it was better. Than David Lynch. I don't know about that. Dustin is grimacing right now. Um, <laughs> it is interesting that you say that because I thought this was a Lynchian Oh, film. it's very Lynchian. It is very Lynchian, very yes. Much so. And I haven't really seen much Lynch, but I was like, I bet this is why Dustin liked it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they recommended it. And I'm like, and I was starting to get into some more of that art house type stuff then. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I was I was insufferable. Yes. <laughs> Did you have the mullet at this time? Um, hang on. No, I'd already cut that by then. Okay. I well. had the big hair wave thing going. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I miss my hair. Um, <laughs> but uh, so then when this came out in video, I was sure to check it out and liked it a lot. It was a great movie. Um, I had a couple of friends watch it after that. No one else quite dug it as much as me. And then it's one of those films that I never returned to until just now. Wow. So I was very anxious to see if it would hold up. Um, 
And I think it has. Well, listen, you're psychic or something because <laughs> every time you make a pick for a film, like you picked Dead and Buried, it got like a new restoration. It was on the cover of Rue Morgue. All yeah. these people it was talking about it now. Some other pods. Uh, uh, Joe Bob Briggs yeah. did. Uh, yeah. uh, so you picked this, and then out of nowhere, I was checking some of my groups on Facebook you know, where we just discuss horror films, and suddenly all these people are like, yeah, so the reflecting skin. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> so I don't know what's up with you, but it's interesting. Uh-huh. Well, and because of the way these episodes drop, we've got like four or so in the can before mm-hmm. they ever really drop in case we some in case life happens and we need to miss a recording or something. So when Dead and Buried when we recorded Dead and Buried, nobody was talking about it. <laughs> and then it like everything dropped about Dead and Buried and we were I was like, should we just go ahead and release it? So we don't seem like we're just copying everybody. <laughs> so whatever. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. It's it's fine. We'll see if you can Garn like if you can get reflecting skin trending on Twitter. Or oh, something. I hope so because it, it deserves to be seen. Oh, okay. So oh. right off, right off. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> right out of the gate, uh, what genre is this film? Oh my god. Um, okay, I've got some notes on it, but I want to hear your thoughts. Whew. Um, it's drama. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of historical drama. Mm-hmm. Um, horror. There's mm-hmm. some horror, the gothic especially. Yes. Um, and like American gothic. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time something I didn't really realize the first time I watched it cause I was too, you know, young and stupid and naive. Um, also there's some black comedy in this movie. I think so. Yeah. Um, so I mean, officially it gets categorized as a drama horror thriller. I think that's, yeah, that kind of covers most of the bases. I feel like you really need to mention though. I would say Southern Gothic, but it's not really set in the South, so probably more just like an American Gothic. Yeah, an American you were Gothic saying. sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's set in Idaho in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the ta- the the most basic descriptor I'm looking on IMDb right now. It says, in the nineteen fifties, a young boy living with his troublesome family, troublesome family. That's funny. Mm-hmm. In rural USA, fantasizes that a neighboring widow is actually a vampire responsible for a number of disappearances in the area. Now, that sounds like it could be Fright Night Part 2 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, a fun know? little kid's romp sure. type thing. It is not. It is not. No. And so the note I put down like about American Gothic, just to define that for us a little bit, uh, in literature, which is where this all like stemmed from first, uh, it includes deeply flawed, disturbing, or eccentric characters who may be involved in the occult, decayed or derelict settings, grotesque situations, and other sinister events relating to or stemming from poverty, alienation, crime, or violence. That is this movie. And I think if you make a list, then you just check all of those for mm-hmm. this film pretty much. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm taking it in because I need to learn about this movie. I'm anxious to see Michael's reaction to this too, because I, I don't know. I watched it with Dustin. Michael mm-hmm. wasn't able to join us. Soon. And actually, I was I was worried. When, it, when the first 20 or 30 minutes, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm still really digging this, but I... I didn't know how Dustin was going to react to it. Dustin's <laughs> so stoic during a movie. Yes, yes. You yeah. get no <laughs> response I can't get a whatsoever. Read. I can't get a read. But toward the end, I was like, oh, okay, he likes it. Okay. Yeah, but the one time we had to pause it, and I was like, hey, does Michael know about this movie? Like, maybe you should give him a trigger yeah, warning or something. Yeah. <laughs> that was super cool. So, yeah, that was very kind of you. Um, and maybe we should give a little warning to any listeners right now, too. I, you know, honestly, I think the only ones that maybe is the most – there is an animal scene um, involving an, <laughs> the, an exploding frog. The very beginning. Yeah, um, it's right off the top. It's pretty horrific. But it's not that graphic either. No, but it's more like, fuck. Yeah. 
so, but I, when Jason told me about it, I was like, well, it's fake, right? And we're not dealing with like a cannibal Holocaust type thing. And he's <laughs> like, no, 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 it's fake. So, yeah, so you do have um, an animal cruelty thing in there. And then you do, if you are sensitive to um, child endangerment, mm-hmm. this movie is like all child endangerment. So if it's, if that's a sensitive topic to you, be careful on this one. But you warned me about it because mm-hmm. I guess with my current life situation of having a child, yes. that, yeah. um, it didn't bother me. Okay, it good. really didn't. Um, I think the movie weaves itself in a way that's not shocking. Okay, I don't think it's ever trying to offend. No, no, no. There's some weird shit, mm-hmm. um, which we'll get into. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's not exploitive. No, you know. I think people's different circumstances might hit them in a specific way sure. about this film, and un- and fortunately for me, none of those were that. That's good. So nice. But yeah, there's some weird fucked up shit in this movie that, that <laughs> definitely could if you've had some, you know, pregnant. Oh, well, fuck, I did it. There it was. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I didn't do it. Okay. So, so a bit yeah. of background. This is uh, it's directed by Philip Ridley. He doesn't have a lot to his credit. Uh, criminally, no, he doesn't. Not film wise. Uh, this was 1990. He did The Passion of Darkly Noon in '95, which I've heard about and I've always wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And then in 2009, he did Heartless. And that's pretty much it. He is, I, I know almost nothing about those movies. Mm. Uh, Darkly Noon. I know Vigo Mortensen's back in that. Nice. And I think it's got like Ashley Judd and Brendan Fraser, so it's a pretty big cast. Interesting. Did you look at his Wikipedia page though, as for his other works though? Yeah, he's uh he's also an acclaimed playwright, right. super prolific yeah. playwright. Yeah. I mean, and to that point, the three films that he has directed, he has writing credits on all of them. Not yeah. surprising. Yeah. yeah. No, his uh his list of plays that he's written that mm-hmm. have been produced and gone on was extensive. Yeah, and he's won some awards and everything. So yeah. Which I think You see it in this film. Oh too, yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie's yeah. a play. This mm-hmm. is a I think that's one of my issues with it. We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Uh cinematographer was Dick Pope. He's also known for The Illusionist and Mr. Turner. Those are some British films. He did Dark City too, didn't he? Did he? I believe so. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100 percent on that. No way to know. Earlier. No way to know. Uh, the composer was Nick Bacot. He also did compositions for Darkly Noon, so they kind of had a relationship together working on films. Uh, he is very prolific in television. He's done a ton of TV shows, TV films, and uh, this does star Viggo Mortensen in one of the lead roles. And Viggo Mortensen's butt. Yes, if you're looking for that, it's here. And it was one of his earliest film roles. Had Let's... to show his butt to get in the industry, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it was this role that landed him Aragorn. <laughs> this butt role, and, but you could tell he was going to be a star watching this. Oh, Vigo's, oh, yeah. Vigo's awesome. So he, good. he kills it. He's so good. Um, and I just wanted to set this up as a thought. So we have a British director making an American movie, and they shot it in Canada. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's funny to think about. That sounds about like the film industry. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. I mean, yeah. I, I think it, it looks like what I would imagine rural Idaho to look like. I've never been there. I thought it could look like any place in the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could easily. have easily been anywhere. For sure. And, um, well, the beginning, you mentioned that, that the frog death is at the very beginning. And it's it's so funny because, like, the first shot is this, you know, golden wheat field. Yeah. Very idyllic. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And you see the kid, uh, the main character, Seth Dove, running through this wheat field. And you realize he's carrying a big old frog. Mm-hmm. And he's about to meet up with his friends. And they're all 
ogling over how big this frog is. And it's very like Norman Rockwell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that. Look at this frog. Right. Oh yeah. God, it's, it's like, so oh, they're going to they're gonna play with this frog or something. Maybe they're going to do the frog jumping thing. I don't know. Like with whatever no, kids in the 50s did. With no context, I thought this might sort of be maybe like a Stand By Me kind of film. Almost right. like a kid's adventure. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's definitely a kid's adventure. <laughs> right. Of a sorts. But then almost immediately they start arguing about who's going to stick a reed into the frog's butt, mm-hmm. blow into it, inflate the frog. Why is this a fucking thing? Because uh, well, kids do this, though. It's that it's that casual cruelty and that children possess. Easily one of the themes of the film. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. But it, right from the beginning, it, it, it throws you right into this, and it subverts that whole Norman Rockwell classic mm-hmm. American bullshit, you know, that especially in the past, because the past is always better. You know, things were innocent and kids were good and didn't mm-hmm. do anything wrong. And it immediately quashes all of that. So I think all <laughs> three of us here, maybe Jason and I, I just don't know if you are as like completely heart melted about animal stuff as we are. It usually hits me pretty hard. Because when I saw this, there was a thing from my childhood where I found a frog in the yard and mm-hmm. the kid was over playing with me. And he grabbed the frog and drop kicked it. And I was like, what the fuck? Was this Beavis or Butthead? <laughs> but like that, I, that, that happened when I was like seven or eight and right. I'm 35 now. And that image is still like burned yeah. mm-hmm. into my mind of right. that casual cruelty. Mm-hmm. And so I bought this easily. Like, well, yeah, that's some fucked oh, yeah. up no. shit some kids would I, do. I don't even want to yeah. talk about some of the stuff that I know that kids did growing up right it's just absolutely horrible and it makes you wonder like where the fuck did you get this like Mm -hmm. where did this was this innately built into you or was this like taught to you or was it not taught to you and that was the problem well they're in a rural poverty-stricken area they're left to their own devices there's not a lot to do nobody knows where this fucking kid is at any time in Mm -hmm. his life (laughs) and that's also part of the point of the movie is that uh children they lack that perception of life and death mm-hmm. you know it's very disconnected it's very there's no conception of what that right means. yeah <laughs> and that's what the whole movie is, is exploring so they're they they inflate the frog they hide they have a slingshot and they're waiting for a woman walking down the street down the road it's a dirt road she's all dressed in black and she sees the flaw the frog in the road, she stops to investigate. They use the slingshot to hit the frog, and it explodes blood all over her. Kid's a crack shot, though. No, nah, yeah. yeah. But that was a big frog, so it was a pretty good target. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, luckily, they didn't show the frog actually exploding. Well, they did, just well, for a frame. Yeah. But it, but it was clearly a gag. Right. It was clearly a... They didn't, they didn't kill a real frog. No, it was very clearly a rubber frog that was inflated with a bladder and then yeah. blown up with chunks inside. Right. So so they do this, and she freaks out, and they start running. But also Seth, the main character, he kind of stops for a moment and looks back. Yeah. And there's like a little bit of regret that he's done this in his eyes. At least that's that's how I interpreted it. I don't know, man. You don't think it so? It looked like regret at the time, but the kid's actions later in the movie just tells me he's a <laughs> fucking psychopath. Well, that's before he realized that she was a vampire. Yeah. He's still a psychopath. <laughs> and, and so that lady, uh, she is Dolphin Blue, played by Lindsay Duncan. Also very well played. Mm-hmm. Everyone in this movie is great. So, the funny thing about Dolphin Blue, the name, um, 
you will hear this as a recurring theme of me um, having to watch movies with subtitles. Well, part of that is because I have a lot of hearing loss. So I can't, if a film is not recorded a certain way, I mm-hmm. really have trouble hearing it. So I do have to watch a lot of films with the subtitles on, which sucks. Um, but you know, that's what it is. But there is a scene where it says dolphin moans. <laughs> and if you don't, and at the time, I don't think they'd established that her name was dolphin yet. And you're like, the fuck? <laughs> they, this is a David Lynch movie. They're, they're in Idaho. And there's some fucking dolphins here. What's going on? So be prepared. If you watch this movie with the uh, subtitles on, you might see some weird shit happening. Interesting. <laughs> um, so then the kids run away and they're at their like, clubhouse i guess you would like call it barn i believe right There's yeah in the barn and <laughs> then we also see some and they kind of have their version of like a philosophical conversation but it's for kids right about angels about angels yeah and when you die if you become an angel or not and yeah every time because... you make your ma cry an angel dies right, right. because mm-hmm. one of the kids um eben is his name yeah. right he's the one whose, whose mother's died mm-hmm. And they're basically teasing him about this because he starts crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's that casual cruelty that, that children have to one another. You know, and that's <laughs> that's just so harsh, man. <laughs> you keep looking at me because I don't know this movie. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this movie yet. So I'm just interested in seeing. Um, He's fishing. Oh, well, this, <laughs> it was hard to watch because I well, mean, it's not an easy watch. We've all been. I think we're all the the nerd, the nerd got bullied type, yeah. right? Sure. So, yeah, I got bullied a lot as a kid. And um, as an adult. Yeah, I mean, By I'm me. friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that scene was hard to watch because the kid's crying sure. and literally dealing with horrible grief. Cause, mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're just making fun of them, mocking them. Yeah, fuck those kids. <laughs> okay, keep and, going. And then Seth has a line that's kind of telling because he says something about how um, his mother just looks at him and starts to cry. You know, he's always making his mother cry. Yeah. He doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> and then he runs home and we get a taste of what his home life is like. His yeah. parents, they run a, uh, like a gas station. Which takes no money for any gas. Apparently Apparently not. not. Every All gas is free at yeah. their gas station. And he's not got the greatest home life. He does not have the greatest home life. It's, uh, his brother's gone off in the war. Mm-hmm. World War II, we presume, by the... Yeah, we're still in service home. following World War II. Um, yeah. His mother is incredibly overbearing to the point of, like, cruelty. Oh, she has this great monologue. <laughs> as soon as he's in the house, we're introduced to her great monologue about yes. how the husband smells like gas mm-hmm. all the time. That's where this movie immediately started to feel like a play, because yeah. the way it was written, you have these... Almost every character has an epic monologue oh, yeah, of yeah. some sort. Like so saying, it, this is who I am. And in that yeah. moment, you're getting like all kinds of story details. Everything is yeah. designed to move that character forward in that monologue. Yeah. And then his father, who is uh, Luke Dove, mm-hmm. he is like a shell of a man, basically. <laughs> for for interesting reasons, though. Yes. Which, for, we, find which out we find later out on. later, which are very interesting reasons. Yeah, he's not even really acting to her monologue. He's sitting there reading like a pulp novel. Mm-hmm. And even his interactions with um, Seth, they're very like rehearsed almost. Like They have the same conversation every day yeah. a little bit. Yeah. That's the Norman Rockwell thing, too. His interactions with Seth are almost the Norman Rockwell, like... Or to me, the Opie and Andy, like, hey, mm-hmm. Pa, yeah. what you doing, right. Pa? And the whole visual, because he follows his dad over to the gas station, and his dad's sitting on the porch, and he's sitting there next to him. He, like, gets him a drink. Yeah. yeah, just if you look at the visual without any of the sound, right, yeah, it's Norman Rockwell. And it's kind of the perfect, what we, the picture perfect of what we think, like, a 
1950s kid would be like. But I think that's partly skewed by the shows of the 60s depicting that life, you know. I think everybody will probably see Opie and Andy in that relationship. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And the father is describing the book that he's reading to Seth, talking about how it's about vampires and, like, what vampires do. They drain vitality from people. They don't like sunlight. Uh, They're really old. And the whole time uh, the father is telling the story, he, he never... He tells it like it's fact. Yeah. He doesn't stop to mention, oh, hey, these things aren't real. They don't really exist. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but now I do. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Seth is you're... listening to him, and he's like reacting like it's real, like it's reality. Because he never even says, like, I'm reading a story. He says, oh, I'm reading about vampires. Yeah. yeah. Right. And on the cover of this pulp novel, <laughs> it looks like Dolphin Blue, the woman they just pulled the prank on. Yeah. Um. So this is also another great thing that this movie does. It shows that disconnect between parents and children. It's like... A lot of times parents are oblivious to how their actions and words Impact, affect yeah. children. Right. So maybe if the father had said this is a story, it's not real, Seth may not have gotten so caught up in this perception that his the neighbor down the road is a vampire. Mm-hmm. Well, but Seth is also the second child. They're the ones that he doesn't seem to be cared about that much. He's, you know? look, he's looking for like something interesting to be going on in his life, I think. Yeah, because his mother's obsessed with his brother. Mm-hmm. You know, like completely. Yep, she even says, when your brother gets back, everything's going to change. Yeah. So, and based on what happened to his dad, which you find out in a bit, you know, his dad's just disconnected from that family. He's just mm-hmm. existing there. So right. nobody really gives a shit about Seth. But it's also just it's just childhood too because when you're a kid you don't understand the world yet you know you're seeing everything through like a gauze of fantasy yeah and it's it's hard it's difficult especially at eight years old and that's a very impressionable trying with no strong role model you know nobody to really look to to show you what's right what's wrong yeah you know a a a good compass Seth had no compass whatsoever right. Which he thinks he does with his brother, mm-hmm. um, or with his dad, and then that <laughs> that changes. So as he's kind of hanging out with his father, uh, in the meantime, Dolphin has gone and spoken to his mother. Yes, about the frog incident. <laughs> <laughs> the frog incident. But doesn't that beautiful Cadillac roll up first? Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We should talk about that. At the that's gas station. A key part of the film. Yeah, this gorgeous black caddy comes up. And there's four, four, yeah, party Gre- te- teenagers, greasers, look like greasers, yeah, younger people in, in the car, and <laughs> people you'd tell to get off your lawn. People I would say, get off my lawn right now, and that's a sweet car. And maybe uh, they were always made like that, but I thought where the fuel tank was was interesting. With the like little tip edge, yeah, wing. that's that's where they yeah. they are. Yeah, it's it really seems cool. like so now. Looking at that from an engineering standpoint, you're like, you should probably not put open wires right there where the gas goes in. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not a car designer, so I don't know. But It looks awesome. Yeah. But what a fucked up scene this is, though, because... They're very weird. This is where my... I was starting to be like, what is Jason picking? <laughs> because... You should always ask yourself that. Well, I usually do. But so Seth's dad tells him, go fill him up, son. Mm-hmm. You know, and so... Which I thought was interesting. Seth knew exactly where to put the gas. Hmm. Like he probably always fills them up when they come through, or maybe he's just filling um, a lot of cars. I thought it was pretty common actually in cars back then. They would have the, the gas tank. You know, I don't, the, I don't know shit about cars. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so when Seth finishes filling up the, the car, the driver 
is like really looking at Seth in a way that's not wholesome. Yeah. Um, in a way, almost like oh, this, but because of the vampire talk, he's looking at Seth like food mm-hmm. to me, sure. like the way a vampire would look at a victim. Yeah, and they're dressed in dark. They got the black leather jackets. They're, they're driving this dark car. Yeah. At that point in the movie, that was kind of what I thought the film was going to be. Mm-hmm. I still didn't have the perception of what we're doing, and so I was like, "Oh, so he's going to think it's Dolphin, and really the vampires are the guys in this car." And it'll be like a swip swap thing, right? We still hadn't got to that kernel of what this is. <laughs> but the the thing that really got me though was the the driver of the car reaches out and like touches mm-hmm. Seth's lip. He's like rubbing us up with his finger, and you're like, "God damn it! What the f- asking is no? <laughs> like yeah. no? It's, it's real personal, real quick." And he says, "We'll be seeing you soon, Seth." Dove, and so you know shit's gonna go down with these guys. But I'm also sitting there looking at the dad on the porch, like you're not doing anything about this. Well, that was also that and the fact that Seth doesn't take any money from these guys, because you know every little bit of cash that comes in, these people need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I almost wondered if if they were even there, but the father had mentioned, like, a car is coming. Would yeah. you, get, you know, go fill it up? Oh, I felt like they were there, but it almost felt to but me they're like... they're so ethereal. Yeah. You know, throughout the movie, their appearances are very ethereal. I almost wondered if it was... Like, I thought it was maybe just a forgotten part in directing. Like, oh, you should have got to write in where they give them money for the script. <laughs> I have a thought on that, but I'll okay. save it for right. the end of the film. Cool, cool. But also, you know, that's the heyday of American highlight glory, and gas didn't cost anything. We could just <laughs> run our... free. We could just drive our cars as far as we wanted to forever, and gas is always there. <laughs> and that's when the mother comes out. Yes, After they roll yes. out, the mother comes out and says, you go apologize right now. And in doing so, that's where we start to learn a lot about Dolphin, who she is. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> she just dumps on this kid. Yeah, man. I felt I felt really bad for the kid. <laughs> so Dolphin is um, a very aristocratic seeming. Yeah. She's um, from England, right? I believe. Yeah, she's, she's British. Um, the actress, what's do you have her name? Right uh, there? Lindsay Duncan. She's actually done a ton of shit. Um, she's super cool. Um, She's in that Discovery of Witches show oh, that my wife watches. Interesting. A little too teen drama for me, but she's great in it. Cool. Um, anyway, side. But she starts to kind of... She immediately doesn't even blame Seth or get mad at right. him It's for like what she he's almost done. understands. Yeah, like, I've done cruel and things. And she even tells him, like, you know, I remember being a kid once. She talks about tying firecrackers to a cat's mm-hmm. um, tail. Yeah. And, and says like, she should do that sometime. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. She talks about, like, the cats running away with their assholes on fire. And you're like, god damn. Is everyone in this movie horrible? That was a pretty common <laughs> practice back then. Yeah. I've heard, I hate, of, I hate I've heard of people doing that. And I still just want to believe that it's not true. But I know that it is because pe- the human race. I mean, hell is other people. <laughs> <laughs> Bukowski should. I mean, he wrote my epitaph right there. So, But, mm-hmm. yeah, she just starts dumping on Seth, though, about her dead husband yeah mm-hmm. who committed suicide like a week after they got married. she said we had a week of happiness yeah she found him in the barn doesn't even know why i know why she's fucking crazy <laughs> <laughs> well was that after he committed committed suicide that she became crazy i don't consumed know. by grief that's what i think is she that lives in this huge old house she she left her home she came to america with this guy yeah he died in a week and now she just has this house and it's all it's his place his world that she really knows nothing of yeah 
And she has this box of keepsakes, like a lock of his hair, some of his teeth. So creepy of a scene. Pictures. Look, it's his hair. Yeah. It's his teeth. Um, but I think the, her being that way, it's it's kind of supposed to balance this thing where it's reinforcing the fantasy yeah. of the vampire narrative. Sure. She, she even seems, says that she's like 200 years old. Yeah, he, he asks know. how old she is, and he's, oh, 200 years old. Yeah, because that's how old she feels. Mm-hmm. But he takes it literally, again. He, he's interpreting these things literally because he doesn't have the capacity to realize, oh, hey, you know, this is basically poetry. This isn't real. Mm-hmm. You know, the way she feels isn't did, literal. Did either of you guys ever see the Jim Jarmusch um, Only Lovers Left Alive? No, unfortunately. I need to watch that. It's been on my list for a while. I actually really like I'm I'm iffy on a lot of his films. I don't, I don't think that he's what everybody says he is as far as, like, mm-hmm. I think he's a good director or whatnot, but, you know. Like, I think he's overrated is what you're trying to say. <sighs> Shots fired. I just. He's like Wes Anderson is what you're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to kill the podcast right here. <laughs> Woo! That's the, I like that movie of his. I almost felt like Tilda Swinton copied her character off of this one. It wouldn't be surprise me if she'd seen it. Because very, very similar. Like, that's the whole time I'm watching it. I'm thinking of Tilda Swinton's character from Only Lovers Left Alive. Hmm. And it's very, very evident in this woman's character. And I almost feel like that might have tainted my view of this character. Because... I always thought she was a vampire through the whole thing now. Like, there was no convincing me. I'm right there with Seth. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because huh. I think it's because of that movie. Huh. Because okay. I see so much of the way Tilda Swinton played her character in this character that I'm like, well, yeah, she's a vampire. Duh. Interesting. <laughs> like, okay. Huh. So, I don't know. Maybe that was part of something there. But That's cool. Hmm, and... One to look into, then. <laughs> yeah. There's this great quote that dolphin gives she says to seth after she goes on this spiel about how horrible her life has become um and he's like sitting there kind of doe-eyed not even really registering it Mm -hmm. you know like it's kind of beyond him and she says it's all so horrible isn't it the nightmare of childhood and it only gets worse (laughs) that quote was great (laughs) yes that that is the mantra of this movie that is this movie is not very subtle no. It really isn't. I mean, it's well made, it's very well done, but it's like fuck subtext. You know, it's. <laughs> and I always love movies like that. They're just like in your face, right, shouting their right. themes. And this is definitely the mantra of this movie. Was this before or after she let him have that um, whaling spear? Yeah, that harpoon. That, yeah. That note that, okay, a child who just blew up a frog should not have a whaling She's encouraging him to kill cats. Oh, yeah. She's just... And she gives him this giant... Which is a beautiful set piece, by the way. I don't know if that was an actual relic or if that was like the art department made that. Yeah, I don't know. It looks good. It looked looked awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like a giant harpoon, like bigger than the kid. Yeah. And he's sitting there in the rocking chair. And that's with a great it. shot too, where he leans back and there's the shark jaws behind him. Yeah. He's about to get devoured by something. Yeah. But this whole scene in, in the house with with her is just wild and depressing and disjointed. Like it feels very, I think it's interesting. You call this scene wild because it gets a lot wilder in the house. <laughs> oh, I definitely think it. <laughs> oh yeah. It get, does get a lot wilder, but this I think sets the tone for every interaction you're going to have with dolphin. I think it was at this point that I kind of started to understand what the movie was doing. And I was like, Oh, I don't think it's really about the vampire uh, at this point. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, he, he runs back home, um, and that is when... Vigo's not back yet. Vigo's no. not back Vigo's yet. Vigo's not no. back yet. But at some point soon, it turns out that Eben's missing. 
That's right. They get a visit later on in the evening from a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who's who plays Even's dad? Because that dude was killing it. Yeah. He was just chewing every piece of scenery that was. Uh, was he David Long Longworth. Yeah. God, Josh, he was yeah. he was great. Well, he's got that great old west mustache thing going. So, but there's also this is it's not really pointed to very much, but there's a lot of literature that talks about this being set near an Amish community. Hmm. I could see that, but nothing other than just the style of dress for some of the people with those weird fucking twins that come by cooing at him at one point. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Um, they're kind of dressed in an Amish fashion, or at least a a conservative. Um, sure, that kind of. I don't know what word to use, <laughs> um, but which he was kind of dressed a little bit Amish like, mm-hmm. but, and he keeps talking about the, um, well, it's clear that he is very religious. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there, he talks about a... the horrible thoughts in his head all the time. Yeah. He says that he's being punished by God for the terrible thoughts that he has. Right. But his son's missing mm-hmm. and they keep asking him, you know, where's even, have you seen even? No, I haven't seen even. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, even's dad draws, uh, Seth onto his lap and was like, is he dead, boy? Is he dead because of my sins? <laughs> it's like, oh my god, this is so intense. And Seth just doesn't have know what to think. Yeah, I mean, they're basically molding this poor child into be <laughs> the most horribly fucked up kid. But it's it's a, it's a great interpretation of the way you look at adults sometimes when you're a kid. Yeah, because you don't know mm-hmm. what they're thinking and what it's it could be. Very, very confusing. All of the sins you're watching adults when you're a kid. All of the sins of these kids' parents are following them into their life, and they're mm. they're like the adults here can't seem to separate their troubles enough to try to teach the children that they don't have to be like them or mm. that they don't have to do this kind of thing. Right, definitely. And in that moment when he's talking like that to him. Uh, it did make me think a lot about like where I grew up because we had a, a lot of churches there, a lot of like heavy like religious focus and a lot of things like I, I had to go to church with people as like a little kid. Mm-hmm. I think very often, like I don't want to be too critical of anyone, but it's like, they're so focused on their message and stuff that they don't really think about how they present it to children. Right. 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 You grew up in the heart of Pentecostal too, right? Oh, Did you go to a lot of Pentecostal churches? Not really, but it was just like, you know, the typical like Southern Baptist style. Oh, yeah, well, that's how I grew up too. Yeah. Well, it's also human nature, isn't it? Because people are so, probably even more so today, so insular. Like, they've got their point of view, and they just expect you to understand it. Yeah. Or or, or see it their way. When, no, I'm not following you. You know, we, we don't have the same background. We're not, we're not or our on moral, the same wavelength. Or our there. moral compass is not pointing the same north. Right. Our norths right. are not the same. But, yeah, so, like, just to kind of jump through that a little bit, it kind of carries on just for a few more scenes, but then uh, the same interaction happens between Seth and his dad. Right. You thirsty, Paul? Let me get you... Or, like, yeah. yeah, I could drink, Paul. But now, has this already been... Oh, shit, no. Before that all happens, the next day, isn't that when they go raid Dolphin's house? Correct. But don't forget yeah. about Mom shoving water down Seth's throat. Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because Seth pisses his pants Yep. on... That's right. ...on Joseph, right? Yeah, he has to pee and... Yeah. <laughs> because there's this weird scene about... Early in earlier in the film, like the first interaction where they're um, Seth's talking to his Paul about giving him water, mm-hmm. and he makes this weird statement about like you got to drink, son, or you'll turn to dust. Mm-hmm. Following the vampire thing yeah. going on, yeah. And so, but Seth is never thirsty in these 
scenes, like Seth never wants water. Yeah. But Paul, yeah, could always take a drink. So Seth goes and gets him water. So you don't really see Seth drink, but then you see Seth's mom, like with this pitcher of water, <laughs> forcing it, like waterboarding the shit out of yeah. her son. Yeah, it's awful. To drink it. And he's like, Ma, I can't, you know, I'm going to pee. I'm, I, I got to go. And then so Joseph does his crazy ass shit and is like, is he dead, boy? Is he dead? And then yeah. poor Seth pisses his pants on him. So, Which that punishment, I think that was like a common punishment for the time. Jesus Christ. Like drinking a bunch of water. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah, you can die that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Seth and his other friend Kim, they're talking later about Evans' appearance. And Seth is blaming Dolphin because she's, she's a vampire. She abducted him, obviously. Yeah, right, obviously. Of course. So they go to her house and break in, break in, (laughs) they get up to the bedroom and they're like, look at this giant shell. It's the frog scene. Yeah. All over again. He's picking up this beautiful. Yeah. They're laying on the bed and it's like, oh, that's kind of sweet. You know, they're just like sitting on the bed. Oh, so comfortable. My bed's not like this. Yeah. And yeah, they find that shell, this beautiful shell, like this big seashell. And he's like. We should destroy it. Yeah, let's break it. And and they go into like they break they trashed room. And there is so I did laugh because there was like a demon scene in it where Kim is going, Smash everything! Smash everything <laughs> And I'm thinking of demons the whole time, but <laughs> nice. <laughs> but then but you're just like, what on earth possesses a kid to see something and say, Let's fucking break it. That's it's I've seen yeah. it. Oh, I, I know I it. have I mean, two, but it's like it's hard for me to accept. There's because, no concept of permanency. Yeah, when you're a kid is the thing I think. It's, you know, it's hard for me to accept because I wasn't raised like that. Like I was sure raised very differently from that. So when I see that, I'm like, what the, where the hell's your parents? Like, right, right. I think we already established that I was like an anxious mess as a kid. So like I would accidentally bump and knock something over, and then like destroy myself afraid to like tell my parents <laughs> oh, man. was your stomach upset a lot as a child yes. and it still is today oh, dustin and i share the very same thing <laughs> yeah we we share very similar backgrounds that's awful uh, um, yeah they they trash her bedroom but then she's she comes home mm-hmm. and starts to try to masturbate in the in, right. in the living room yeah um, in a chair in the center of the room yeah <laughs> it's very awkward is that not how you guys do it uh, no, uh, well, hmm. not as such. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not knocking it. It's just yeah, whatever yeah, do your you, thing. Yeah, you, you know. your kink's your kink, man. But yeah, um, that was a weird way to get going. Sure, um, but the, it's another of these moments though where he's encountering like the world of adults. Right, you don't know what you're seeing. You can't. Yeah, conceptualize. Because coming down the stairs trying to sneak out, they see her from behind. Mm-hmm. So they don't really see what's going on. They just see her reaction. And she's sitting in the sunlight, and it's almost like it's that hope pleasure or pain sort of yeah thing you don't really know what's what when you're just looking at something mm-hmm. um so they think oh is she writhing in pain from the sunlight or something you know that's kind of my impression yeah and then she hears them and freaks out and they run away <laughs> god damn these kids man <laughs> <laughs> they're hellions man no doubt but now we've so now we find even yeah this is where the shoe drops yeah so seth you want something to drink, Paul? Yeah. Yeah, I could use something to drink, son. And they go, and he goes and opens the well, which the whole time I'm like, you're going to get pinworms. You, <laughs> like, you're going to get pinworms. Tiffany had but... a lot of questions about that, like how they're getting water in there. and It's a cistern. I mean, the water just collects. <laughs> oh, yeah, and you, they definitely got pinworms. I mean, my parents grew up on cistern water, and they had pinworms. So, um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, but he opens it to to get a mug of water out for his paw, and Eben's floating in it. Yep. Yep. Sure is. 
And it was... I'm not, how about said it's tasteful. <laughs> it's tasteful. <laughs> it's, it's a, a tasteful dead child. Yeah, but... It's shocking. It's abrupt. Sure. But it's it doesn't But it's not like he's all bloated and no, stuff. No, and he doesn't you know? linger. Right, right, right. So now that's when uh the sheriff's deputy starts coming around yeah. and starts asking questions. And this is where you get Pa's backstory. A little bit of it. And this is one of the hardest parts of this movie for me. Sure. Um, because apparently in Seth's dad's oh, Luke Luke, right? Luke. Apparently in Luke's story. Luke was caught um, with a was it a young man? He was seventeen, I yeah. think. They okay, said. A full embrace. The deputy says, caught yes. by the sheriff. So out in the barn. Yeah, and so so obviously, if he is homosexual or bisexual or anything like that, he's obviously a child killer. That's so they that's come a, out to talk to him. About that's this. immediately where it goes. Yeah. And it gets back right. into that like fundamentalist, yeah, like sure. religious. You're different. You know, so oh, and it pissed you're capable, me. You're capable of doing anything. What pissed me off like the most is that this is still the fucking argument that I hear all the time. Oh, sure, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Is still that, this bullshit. Yeah. Like, especially where we live in the South. I mean, and I'm sure it's all over, but like, it's hard to have a conversation with anybody here about homosexuality right. being a normal and okay thing to to have or be because they're like, well, Which they're, it is, and because it is. immediately, <laughs> yeah, because immediately the other party is going to be like, well, they're just going to go have sex with children yeah, you're like they're gonna the, be marrying horses you're like next. where the what? fuck did this go <laughs> yeah you know like right. how did we get from here to here yeah and so but that's immediately why the police officer is here questioning yeah you feel awful for the father too because he's just breaking down oh yeah he's, he's gone just, and they even they accuse the mother too of well you married him to like cover that up basically yeah right yeah and and she's not too kind to her husband either because she, she basically says like hey i'm not gonna go through this again yeah and like hitting him and stuff mm-hmm. Ugh. So then we get the absolutely horrific scene where um, Luke goes out to uh, the the gas pump mm-hmm. and starts drinking gasoline yeah, and, and dousing himself, himself in gasoline. I mean, he was already a shattered man, and then this just like oh, it it, it yeah. yeah, it it just completely destroyed him. And he was gone, and, and I and Seth comes out and is watching him, and so he's trying. Uh, this what really got me is this. It's kind of interesting, like. Sandwiched with Saint Maud on this one, yeah, um, I can see that. Uh, but like, he's trying to light a match so that yeah. he can light himself on fire, but he can't get the match lit. Mm-hmm. And Seth's watching him, and he goes, "Pa," and that's when the match lights, mm-hmm. and it doesn't linger. No, like it just—it's done. Like the next thing, it cuts to later in the day, and the station, the gas station, is on fire. Right. So you know exactly what happened, mm-hmm. and that Seth saw it all. So it's just gonna more contribute to Seth's fucked upness. Right. <laughs> that poor kid doesn't stand a chance without therapy. And right, because in the same day, he's learned all this about his dad. Which then... I don't think he fully understands. No, there's no way. But I think that uh, Kim, his friend, seems to tease him yeah. about some of that, though. So, God, this movie just goes <laughs> off the rails at this point. <laughs> um, in a good way. This is when it gets great. I don't know. Somebody take over next. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, pretty, shortly after that, his older brother Cameron, who's away in the service, comes home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finally Vigo shows up. Vigo shows up. Yeah, I was wondering the whole time. I was like, "Where's Vigo?" Where's Vigo? <laughs> this and God, his entrance is a really disturbing thing too. Everything mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Well, Seth is so happy to see him. He's running out. There. He's literally draped in the American flag, right? You know, and they embrace and everything. And it's it's a warm moment. It's one of the few warm moments. Yeah. You know, some brotherly love. But I mean, immediately Vigo's like, take that shit yeah, off. Yeah, why are you wearing yeah. that? And he, like, throws it on the ground. So. Well, because you find out what he's seen. Sure, sure. And, right. and then, he very clearly has PTSD. Yeah. 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 
Um, so they do they go straight to um the graveyard? At yeah, I believe the yeah. next scene is pretty much the graveyard. He wants yeah. to pay his respect to their father. Mm-hmm. But they also see Dolphin mm-hmm. there. They at, see Dolphin, um, right at the gravesite of her husband. Yes, and, and Cameron and Dolphin start talking, and it's obvious that there's a connection there. And it's interesting the way it's shot because it's almost looking like she's luring him supernaturally. Mm-hmm. Like he I think, can't resist her. I think often in the film, what we're actually getting is the perspective of Seth. Oh, totally. Yeah. More than like what's actually happening in the moment. Yeah. This is also that scene though where the sheriff talks to Seth too, though, right? God, what a oh. fucking awesome monologue! <laughs> God damn, it's so good. The sheriff's great. He's got like uh, obviously something's happened to his hand, and it's he's, it's like he's wearing a, a glove over like a wooden hand or yeah. something, right? And he he he, has rest, a patch. he walks up and just just plops it on <laughs> Seth's shoulder yeah. with his giant white wooden hand, and then stops to talk to him later, and he's like, "This ain't my hand, boy." Sheriff then, Sheriff Ticker, played by Robert Coons. This ain't my hand, and dog bit off my ear. See that here? Yeah, and his ears a, all chewed up. And then a wasp stung me in the eye. Yeah, <laughs> and this is the, the 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 kind of the black comedy mm-hmm. that I was talking about. That earlier. I found hilarious, right? Because all these horrible things have happened to this guy, and all these horrible things are happening, and it's just like life. Is an endless series of horrible events for everybody, and the dude has a metal eye patch on top of it yeah, too. He looks right. like <laughs> he, he felt G. like Joe, uh, and he's asking Seth if his Paul ever touched him and that sort of thing. Where you know he's kind yeah. of a, I like that conversation because he goes in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah in the kitchen, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those few moments of actual real real comedy that but isn't just the interesting thing night. is what. Um, is what Seth says to him when he finally points out, like when he's asking him, well, do you touch in your private parts? When he finally has to come out and tell him, did your dad molest you? Mm-hmm. And Seth says, no, dad, daddy never really touched me at all. Yeah. And then you get this really sad sense of that because of what happened to Luke, like he never could show his son any right. affection. He kept a distance there. Yeah. And it just even added to sure. Seth's perception, tragedy, you yeah. know. That that to me was really a sad a sad moment because you realize then like oh shit yeah. like even if he were to try to be a good father and love on his son give him hugs and stuff the way anyone would see it would be like oh well he's a pedo right mm-hmm. right and so and and I mean and I mean from what we know back in the past people weren't parents weren't always as affectionate with their kids as they are like especially men yeah. it was weak to show any affection you know if if you got a hug from your dad. That was probably a big deal for a lot of people growing up in this time, you know, in rural area, rural America. Oh, and still, still is, and still is for a lot of people, unfortunately. I'm, you know, yeah. it's, it's just not masculine. That's just no, you don't do that. But yet, yeah, it that sheriff man, yeah, he's great. <laughs> he did make the movie for me, though. He's like a David Lynch character. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was immediately like, God damn, did Lynch just write part of this? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so in the meantime, Cameron's macking on Dolphin. And Seth's trying to pull him away after he's done talking to the sheriff. And Cameron actually pushes him. Like, he gets pissed. Yeah, that was a hard scene. It was hard to watch. And it's that's where the his whole backstory struck me because it's like he wants to be a good brother to Seth, I think. But he has all this, like, trauma. Yeah, he's got his war. own issues he's dealing with. And you can tell a lot of the times he gets physical and violent with him. It's like he just snaps on a dime. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some... Definite turmoil there. But soon after that, though, we see kind of the reconciliation between Cameron and Seth. Mm-hmm. That, but is a really weird reconciliation because Cameron pulls some pictures out of his wallet and one yeah. of them is of a dead baby. Yep. 
being carried on a by a Japanese soldier, and it's cl- its skin is covered in a silver that's so like bright it reflects anything. Right. This was hard for me because I think that photograph is real. It very well could, could have been. been. I think that photo was real. So the three photos that Cameron carries in his wallet: one is of a naked lady, mm-hmm. like a pinup. Mm-hmm. The other is of this dead baby. Um, and then the third is of him and Seth, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like the view that Seth has of his brother, his mentor, his role model. And he asks him where that photo comes from, and he gets very defensive. And he's yeah. like, it's just a photo that I got. Yeah, yeah, like he wants to know the kid's name and everything like that. And he's like, I don't know. It's just a picture. Yeah, yeah that was a... But that really showed you Cameron's side of like, why is he carrying this picture around? Because he's that tortured mm-hmm. of a human being. But um, then you start seeing Cameron like, I'm going out. And he's like trying to keep him. He's like, because Cameron's now like going to go visit Dolphin. Mm-hmm. And so Seth is losing him to Dolphin already. Mm-hmm. So well, she's a vampire. Well, yeah, you can't. And Cameron's under her spell. You can't obviously. resist her. Oh, right. she does play a vampire in Discovery Witches too, which is kind of interesting. Ooh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's also around this time I'm sorry we're going to say something no, else okay. no. I was gonna say, it's also around this time that um, Kim and Seth are playing again when they discover something in their little clubhouse god damn what is it what why <laughs> why why <sighs> what is, what is it uh, it's basically an ossified dead baby right? yeah, yeah but like why <laughs> Dude, this is one of those things. I saw this, as I said before, when I was younger, but it was the VHS days. And (laughs) things look so much different on DVD or HD. You know, things are much clearer. Yeah. And they become even more disturbing when you can really see them. (laughs) I'm like, oh. And that's really when I thought, I got to talk to Michael first before (laughs) he watches this. (laughs) If if circumstances had been different for me and Piper and the birth of our child, this would be hard. Oh, mm. right. No, this, yeah, this, I would think, not have been I think this is where we should say, if you have ever lost a child, don't watch this movie. A little late, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but at this point, like, <laughs> but I, but in all seriousness, don't, don't watch it. Just, well, if, I mean, it, it depends on the individual. Yeah. If you can handle you know, that, but if this is something that everybody's different, check your comfort level. Yeah. Check right. it. Cause for me, right. I would have been like, no, 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 no. Like yeah. I can't do that. Because it's just so weird. It is, and they think it's a fallen angel. They think it's Eben reborn, right? Their, their dead friend that he couldn't get into heaven. He doesn't have his wings. And Seth takes it home in a box. Yes. And for the they rest, have a fight over who gets to take yeah. it. And for the rest of the film, he there'll be scenes where he kind of refers back to it, and he like pulls it out and starts talking to it. Yeah, and it's kind of being like, oh, what are we going to do about Dolphin? Oh, she's trying to get my brother. What should I do? Right. And I had I wanted to talk to you guys about this scene in sure. particular because. What do you guys even think the point of this is? Like, why, why is this fetus like subplot going on? Because I had a thought, and I wondered if either of you okay. had an idea in mind. Um, because it does seem almost like you could cut it out, and it would still function the same. But I wonder. Well, I think it's also like Seth's definitely becoming. I mean, there's definitely some sort of psychosis happening here. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just part of it. I wait to illustrate the fact that he's getting deeper and deeper into this okay. fantasy world where he thinks that this corpse is an angel. And it's also this, the way he deals with the horribleness of reality. Yeah. Now he transforms it into something that he sees as being right. a good thing, a hopeful thing. You know, it's his dead friend back. So here was a thought I had. Sure. Um, as children, we kind of look for a voice of authority. 
Mm-hmm. And for Seth, he really doesn't have one. His mom is very cruel to him and overbearing. She doesn't really like teach oh, she's, him or and she's guide checked him. out at this point. Right. Yeah. And and she's checked out after the father dies, which he was checked out already, and yeah. then he's not there. His dad went all Owen Lars on him. Uh, Cameron <laughs> is now kind of just focused on Dolphin, and plus he's got his own trauma he's trying to work through, so he's not really there for him. His friends are vanishing and dying slowly, right. so he really has no voice of authority to like pull from or seek mm. guidance from. Okay. And I think in a way, him talking to what he thinks is, you know, Eben is a fallen angel, that is him like seeking that voice of authority, except it's just like him giving it to himself. And I wonder if that influences some of the decisions he makes later and some of the things where he kind of eh, makes the wrong choice a little yeah. bit. No, that's that's a good point. I and like it made that. me yeah. think about Saint Maud because the same way, where mm-hmm. there, her voice of God that was guiding her, it was just coming from her. In a religious viewpoint, like in a religious household or a, a you know a religious family, the children do often have trouble separating mm-hmm. the um, like. <laughs> it's about to get a messy situation here, isn't it? <laughs> no, but like, what is reality from what is uh, a parable? Right. So, I mean, a lot of adults do too. This could be like a whole other conversation. It this, could. This is a very intense type conversation that could be had that I don't think we're going to get into right now. No, no. No, no, no. But I think that's, <laughs> but I think that's part of why he's talking to it as well. Because mm-hmm. for him, as adults, we can partially understand that like, okay, well, we're not specifically speaking to straight to an angel. Right. You know, when we pray, we're speaking to the essence of one, but for him, he's like, no, 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 this is, he's a fallen angel. And so now he's my connection to God too. Like he's my connection to what's morally right. I can see that too. That's kind of where I went with it. Cool. But it's still weird. Yeah. So he's like, uh, he's like Belloc and it's his transmitter to God. (laughs) He gets to talk directly to God. It's Belloc. (laughs) (laughs) Belloc. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that does that could very much influence what happens with him and his decisions. Cool. Yeah, I just thought it was a it's a very <laughs> weird part of the film and it's a very interesting part of the film. And it seems like everything that Ridley does is very intentional. So I really like slowed up there and kept thinking about it and was like, What what's he what's he doing here? Yeah, I don't I don't think it was just for shock value. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, because it's not that shocking. Well it's weird and it's a it's a very strange prop that you don't fully. I think, I think some people thinking an eight-year-old boy talking to a calcified baby <laughs> fetus would be. I mean, shocking. I'm not sure that people. If you've made it this far into the podcast, <laughs> you probably aren't surprised that much that we would be like, "No, that's normal. That's yeah, it's legit. That's cool. Yeah." But this is where this next scene is where Cameron leaves, right? And he's trying to go to go to. He goes over to her house, and so uh, Seth follows him over there. Yeah, and so what I expect is you're going to catch him, you know, bumping uglies and stuff like that. And now Seth is going to see his brother engaged in sex with Dolphin, and he doesn't understand sex, you know. So, I mean, I'm 35 and I don't either. So <laughs> someone should explain that. To <laughs> someone you. should at some point tell me how this works. Um, but instead, that's not really fully what happens. Well, I think they do make love. I just don't think that we're privy to the exact moment of it sure happening. i mean it's it's kind of poetic the way it's done but this is where you get a total um telling of what yeah cameron just kind of 
dumps on her everything that's happened. Yeah, and basically he was there to witness the atomic blast. Right, yes. or test or something. Or, yeah. He's talking about how Ash would fall from the air like snow, and they were like having so snowball guess, fights with it. So and, I guess if this was 50s, it would actually be the testings. Because there was an extensive amount of testings in the South Pacific. Oh, sure. Like in the 50s. Yeah. And all that stuff. But, so, we, but we know that he was uh, like stationed... In, in Japan. In Japan, because the mom refers to it as, like, what, the Pretty Little Islands? Yeah, Pretty Little Islands, right, right. Which could be a lot of different things. You know, we don't know for sure. And him revealing this, it makes me think about the photo now. I wonder if he's actually there, and that's why he gets so defensive with Seth. No, oh, I, I totally think yeah. so. Yeah. I totally, I almost bought that he took it. Yeah. But he's talking about, you know, like the snowball fights they'd have with the ash, and that they would boil the fish in the sea, and you could pick them up and eat them if you wanted. Um, and that's you're when like, you're like, oh boy, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. But because of this story, now a lot of other things make sense. Seth sees um, his brother's comb with a big chunk of his hair in it, mm-hmm. and he thinks that because Dolphin earlier is showing the hair of her husband, that she's now doing the same thing to Cameron that she did to her husband. Mm-hmm. And his gums start to bleed. Yeah, which we know now why. Yeah. Um, and I love the subtlety of that, because they never just come out and say, like, hey, he's got radiation sickness. Well, well they, but you know it. That's part of the problem. They didn't even understand it then. Yeah. And they this just, is another thing about this movie that I really like. It's it's almost an indictment against ignorance. Yeah. You know, because everyone talks about the good old days and how, you know, the 40s or 50s, it was, everything was black and white. It mm-hmm. was good versus evil, and we knew America was the good guys, and everything's so simple. But it wasn't. <laughs> and it was horribly complicated. It was not fair for most people. They didn't understand this poison they're putting up into the air or didn't care. And they're indiscriminately killing all these people. And it's it was never the good old days, people. No. I think that's what this movie means. One of the points of this movie is it was never the good old days. Yeah, I can see that. This is not Andy Griffith. No. <laughs> nope. Um, and also, I think it's after he leaves the house when he sees them together is that he sees his friend Kim, Mm -hmm. who has taken up the flag that Seth had left on the road. He's running around with the American flag on him, and that black caddy pulls up. Yep. And they come out and literally grab him and put him in the car and drive off. Yeah. That scene was rough, too. Yeah. Because the kid's screaming and carrying on, you know. And the, the, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, uh, Tiffany watched this with us, and she got hung up on that moment. Because she was like, why Why wouldn't he tell someone at that point right. what happened? Yeah, because they find the body later on, still dropped in the flag. But I've we were all kids. Sure. I'm not a snitch. <laughs> well, it's also one of those things you don't <laughs> quite understand. I also don't... This is kind of the way I viewed it, and maybe this is skewed and fucked up. But there's such a rivalry mm-hmm. between Seth and Kim right. that he was like, oops. They had that fight. Yeah. Over the angel. And yeah, I can, like, I can see that. And so he's like, yeah. well. That's what you get. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody because then he's asked, did you see him? No. Well, you right. did. You liar. Yeah. But he, for, in his mind, but he also probably thinks he's going to get in trouble. Mm. Sure. That was where I was coming at it from because I could see in that situation being like, I don't want to get in trouble. You don't understand what's happening. Because that, that was the worst thing ever for getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing. You, know, you never know what's really going to get you in trouble, do you? And anything yeah. to avoid that. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there was probably a little bit of both there for me. I can see that. Yeah, totally. 
but that already tells you right there, like, okay, these guys are uh, absolutely horrible people, and they're pedophiles and killing children. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, oh, but don't forget the scene before with um, Vigo spilling everything is also spilling his butt. <laughs> yeah, she gets some Vigo butt. Get yeah. some Vigo butt. If you hadn't little, little already, bonus, if you, know. you hadn't already seen everything he has to offer in Eastern Promises, this is <laughs> this is a taste of like thirty years earlier of Vigo. Man, Vigo butt. Is so good. He's such a good actor. It's weird that you say that right after the. Butt well, I mean, part. you know, he is a good actor. He's a good actor. He's committed to the roles. He probably yeah. has a good butt. I'm not really sure. I'm not really. I know. it's fine. I'm, it's, yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> We should probably not get hung up on that. And so in we the, probably shouldn't talk about it anymore. In the wake we? of uh, <laughs> in the wake of Kim's death, curiously, the police kind of decide: well, maybe maybe Luke Dove is still alive. Maybe, yeah. maybe he's still out there. Weird ass. Well, no, it's not a weird ass connection. It's a just a fucking bigoted connection. Mm-hmm. Like, still, the only way they can justify what's happening to these children in their mind is it has to be the dad. Who had a sexual encounter with a seventeen-year-old? Sure, yeah. What else could it be? It's the only way. So they show back up at their house. They get very accusatory. Um, is it? I want to say it's Joshua. Doesn't he show up again too? Yeah, I think that yeah. was before this, but at some point, yeah, he has an altercation. Joshua shows up and asks, you know, wants to see, wants to see Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Cameron's like, he's dead. You yeah, know, he's not here. He's dead. But that's this weird. Uh, how many times we should do a weird counter? <laughs> how many times <laughs> Michael said weird? But this is where Joseph is like, you don't know the thoughts in my head of these evil thoughts. And I had a dream that I was making love to my goat, and yeah, I liked yeah. it, right? And it's like, whoa! And Cameron's like, you're drunk, Joshua. <laughs> whoa, yeah. But they have this altercation, and the wailing. Yeah, the harpoon, yeah, comes harpoon into play. comes into play. Which it better, because of Chekhov's gun. If it didn't, yeah. no point of having it's it. It's set on their porch the whole time since yeah. he took it. Yeah. Um, Josh tries to kill him with it, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Cameron, like, grabs, grabs it, it with his, his hand. hand. Yeah. Pretty think brutal. would have learned more. You know, he can't <laughs> grab a blade, you know. But, uh, God. This is where this movie, <laughs> this is just, so much of this movie just kind of explodes in this part. Mm-hmm. And the only things that I'm truly like remembering visually from all these scenes towards the end of this movie is the transformation of dolphin mm-hmm. is that she, every time we've seen her in the film, she's always been wearing black. Sure. So her morning colors. Mm-hmm. Um, but now after she sees Vigo's butt, she has to, <laughs> she's now wearing white. Right. Yeah. I mean, Vigo, Vigo, Cameron is deteriorating his condition, but dolphin seems to be getting better. She's happier. Like right. You say she's wearing brighter colors. And it just reinforces the belief that Seth has that she's a vampire mm-hmm. sucking the vitality out of Cameron. And he has a little conversation with Angel Eben that night about what to do about her. And like the next day, uh, like he comes across Dolphin in, in the road, like she's waiting to go to town. Yeah. Oh, oh there is right before that. Though. Yeah. He, uh, he confronts Cameron. Yes. And right. kind of just tries to tell him like, hey, you need to stay away from her. She's dangerous. Yeah. And he was like, no, screw you. I'm in love. I'm going to be happy. I'm, and they're, I'm leaving. Yeah, and they're running away together. Like, your mom will take care of you. He said something like how she's actually better now, because yeah. all she does is cooks and cleans. Yeah. What else, what else do you need? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think that's the, like, triggering moment that right. then sets up when he talks to uh, yeah. the fetus. Yeah, because he's desperate now. He's about to lose his brother. Yeah. And then yes. he comes across Dolphin, and uh, she wants to go into town. She's and then almost there. as if by magic, it summons the Cadillac. Yeah. Yep. And she's talking to the driver, and he says they're going to go into town. Would she like a lift? 
And sure. again, Seth is watching, and Seth knows that what happened. She, he knows what's going to happen. Yeah, he he lets it happen because she, he wants her out of the picture. Yeah. So that's why I was thinking before with Kim that he wanted yeah, he, him. Yeah, or he didn't care because and he was the mad driver that talks to Seth again because mm-hmm. he asks, "Hey, are you ready to get in the car with us? Yeah, come along." And hey. he says, "Not yet." Yeah, not yet. And that's one of the thoughts I had about them because we only ever see them in the car like very sparingly, and clearly they're these weird like pedophile murderers. They're just picking up whoever they can and killing them. But in a way, I think almost they're like a metaphor for death and like the world of being an adult and all the terrible things that you're dealing with. Absolutely. And it's in that moment where he's like, hey, are you ready to ride with us? Mm-hmm. And he says, not yet, because right. he started to see all these things. Yeah, he's not ready to die yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also uh, important, just before she does get in the car, she kind of has this monologue that she does mm. where she sort of lays out to Seth everything about like, you know, you're going to grow up. You're going to get older. You're going to get wrinkled. You're going to shit yourself. You're going to shit yourself. You're right. going to get too old. You won't be able to move around. You won't be able oh, to walk. It's so brutal and so honest. And she just like tears him down in that moment. And then she says, the only thing that gets you through it is if somebody still loves you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She says, just pray that you have someone that still loves you at that point. Right. Fuck. And then he lets her get in the car. And yeah, she did. Later on, her body's discovered. Cameron comes out and he breaks down. Yep. Yeah, you know, and, and just... you can tell that it's almost like the father again. He's he's done right. now. Yeah, and Seth just starts running off in the distance and yelling and screaming. I think in that moment, like it hits him that this didn't get his brother back. It just destroyed him. Right. And right. whatever he wanted, like that relationship with his brother, he can never have that now. It's mm-hmm. just like gone at this point. Exactly. And, and he basically let Dolphin die or made it happen mm-hmm. in his mind. And I'm tired now. <laughs> and yeah, our final moments are him running through the field, just screaming at the yeah, top of his lungs. Throwing dirt like around. The weight of all of this just crashes down on him. I, yeah. need, I need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me pick you up a little bit with some fun uh, tidbits that I have before we dwell a little further on fun this. Fun reflecting skin facts. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we have to thank Adam for this. So he pointed out that uh, there's some paintings that kind of inspired the visuals of this film very much so it's uh andrew wyeth he did a whole series of like these wheat fields there's even one of a woman that looks a lot like dolphin mm-hmm. and i don't know jason if you can maybe get with him and find out the names of those i'll try to put them in the show notes um yeah sure well one of the most famous paintings that wyeth did was christina's world mm-hmm. and a lot of you have likely seen it but it's basically just this kind of pastoral it's it's a wheat field and it's uh, a young woman, Christina, I presume, kind of laying in the field, but looking backward. Her face isn't facing the viewer, but it's looking back to this house up on the hill in the distance. Mm-hmm. And on the surface level, it's nothing like scary, but there's this definite vibe. There's yeah. this undercurrent of wrongness. So did Adam know this without looking it up? I wouldn't put it past him. Cause he, he said he had liked his works before. So. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was kind of thinking the same thing while watching it, too. Yeah, but Adam, man. Just oh, so, sure, sure. He has, like, this pool of, like, knowledge. That <laughs> yeah, he has all these. come out sometime, and you're like, why don't you know that? But Absolutely. So speaking of this and the look of the paintings and how they influence things, um, Philip Ridley, he actually went through and spray-painted all the wheat to yes. make it a brighter shade of yellow so it matched more of that look that he wanted. Yeah. Huh. And a lot of their shooting, they did at magic hour, so they had that exact lighting yeah. like he wanted. That's why it's so golden and mm-hmm. just so beautiful. You're in like a constant like abyss of gold the whole film. It's a lot of wheat. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a lot of wheat. Yeah, it's dedication. <laughs> Uh, and there was another painting to our uh, painter to Edward Hopper that inspired him a lot. He also did a lot of uh, surface level mundanity of everyday life. Um, just a lot of like houses and stuff mm-hmm. from the 20s and 30s. Things that look innocuous, but there's just this. Mm, like an uneasy feeling. Yeah, there's this uneasy sense of dread with yeah. a lot of their work. Well, that's even like the the American Gothic painting, right? Oh, that has that same vibe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so are we going to talk about our feelings about this movie now? Um, I think that's where we. Are. I don't have any other little little fun facts or tidbits. As far as the success of this movie, I don't think I mean, it was very big at the Cannes Film Festival in 1990. I know a, a critic. Critic, it's Cannes, it. Jason. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. It's the Cannes Film Canis, Festival. Cannes. I know a critic at his debut <laughs> said it is an immediate cult classic. Yeah. Right, which it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it was picked up, in retrospect, unfortunately, uh, by uh, Miramax for U.S. distribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, well. Writing's mm-hmm. on the wall there, ain't it? But, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't super successful. I don't remember anyone else I ever knew even seeing this movie. That doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, well. I had never really heard a lot about it until you brought it up. Yeah, it's just one of, it's been one of those movies that's always just been in the back of my head ever since I saw it, and it's I've always liked it. It's always been one of my sort of cult favorites, and I I don't know why I never revisited it. I think I think part of it was, and I've talked to you guys about this before. I was worried about that feeling I got watching it. I wouldn't be able to recapture it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I haven't rewatched Hereditary. I could see that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I've rewatched it like 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because sometimes a movie is just so special, you want to preserve it. And that, that that initial honest reaction you had to it, you don't want to sully that in any way. Mine's probably Return of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I do have some like jumping off point things. So if you, if you watch this movie and you dig it, there's another film from 2005 called Tideland. I've never seen it, but I I see it come up a lot in relation to this yeah, movie. Yeah, people are comparing it to this a lot, and I've never seen Thailand either. And then also there's a novel by Ray Bradbury, uh, Dandelion Wine, from 57. Mm, yeah, I've never read that. Have you read that? I've dabbled with starting it and never gone through it, but it has the same setup of like a young kid in rural America. It's focused heavily from the kid's perspective only, and a lot of it's about just like a kid enjoying summer, but now and again it kind of shifts to talk about like you know, more philosophical and complex things. Yeah, childhood is hell. So kind of the kernel of like what this film is, you see it in that novel as well. We can we have a few takeaways from this episode that you can totally put on the blurb. <laughs> uh, Michael quotes Bukowski. <laughs> Jason, childhood is hell. <laughs> um, yeah, so... So did it hold up? For yeah, me, we'll it, start with you, Jason. What did you think? Yes, it, it, it held up spectacularly well for me. I was really worried you guys might not dig it, and I'm still not sure about Michael. <laughs> um, but because, you know, sometimes you haven't watched a movie in 25 years, and you're like, is this still a good movie? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's held up, and I think I appreciate it even more now because, as you are so fond of pointing out, Michael, I am older. <laughs> I don't like them damn kids on my lawn. <laughs> Right. Um, At least so, you're not racist and a bigot about them. You're just like, <laughs> equal opportunity. If you're a kid, get off my damn lawn. I don't tell everyone. For everyone out there, I never tell any kids to get off my lawn. Because there's never any kids around your house, because they know. <laughs> they know to get on my lawn. <laughs> they know there's a grumpy old ass man in there. <laughs> get 
Stay away from that man's house. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's held up spectacularly well. I think, I mean, obviously there's a difference watching it between when you're 16 and you're 45. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So I see a lot more truth in the movie than I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be interesting if I had children. Probably give you a different yeah. feeling. Yeah. You want to borrow mine? Uh, Sometimes, sure. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to show you a movie, son. <laughs> Sit down there, son. Um, <laughs> like movies about gladiators. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're if you're letterboxing this, what's the um, what's the rating? My star rating five. Oh, Hell yeah! Shit. This is a five star movie. Shit. Jason does not five star stuff lightly. I do not. Oh my god. Five. It's held up. I think it's it's so good. I, I I think I caught a little bit more of the black comedy this time around. I think I actually giggled a couple of times yeah. when we were watching it. Because sometimes, like I said, it's not a subtle movie, and it's not trying to be. And sometimes, just all this horribleness just keeps compounding, where it becomes almost comical. It's that feeling of like it's so bad, all you can do is laugh. Right, and it's like the things at the gas station. I kept thinking. Yeah, this is this is the days when they still had lead in the gas, and I'm wondering how much lead is there in these people's systems because everyone just <laughs> is horrible or having issues. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's it's five star movie. Killing. Dustin, what okay. do you think? I'll go next. I fucking loved this. Movie. Yeah, that's what I wanted to. I thought hear. it was amazing. I thought it was so powerful, so impactful. I loved the themes. I love that it was just in your face about it and just gave it to you. I love directors that take that kind of initiative with their filmmaking. Yeah. We didn't go heavy on it, but the cinematography is gorgeous, especially gorgeous. all the wide shots of the scenery, the fields, yep. the one dusty road that kind of runs through things. Uh, the score is amazing as yeah. well. Yeah, we didn't it gets those big like swells in the dramatic moments. Oh, really, yeah. You feel the emotion through the music as well. Mm. And just the themes and the ideas that it's tackling with, like I've said, you know, I grew up where there's a lot of this like religious fundamentalism. So that hit me hard that those concepts, those themes and the way they presented it all through the eyes of a child and them kind of trying to like reconcile between this world of adults and the cruelty that's there and, you know, the death that awaits <laughs> against this sort of like it is it is innocent, but yet it's not the cruelty of children. Mm-hmm. and their lack of like knowledge of the world and the way things are, I just thought it was very impactful and very incredibly executed. And I am desperate to go watch the other two films that this guy directed. I awesome. have to see them. Awesome. I already went out and bought The Passion of Darkly New. Yeah. Caught it on a sale. Let's do it. Don't know if we'll subject uh, everyone to that or not, but maybe. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I loved it. I can't I give it my highest recommendation. I can't say enough good things about it. Five stars. Don't-don't. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, now the spotlight turns to Michael. This is what I love about this film club, though, is that it's okay. To be to, wrong? To... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, it is okay to have a different opinion. I see each of your opinions, and I understand them. Mm-hmm. And acknowledge them as fact. Uh, yes, uh, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but this movie didn't do it for me. Okay. It just didn't hit me the same way I think it hit you. I see everything you're talking about mm-hmm. and I and I get it and I understand why you see it, but for me it didn't hit me like it didn't hit me the same way. Okay. I think that for me this movie I kept getting drawn out of it like by um the fact that it was it to me it was a play that didn't work on film. Hmm. 
that like the story for me didn't work on film. It was beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous to look at. But yeah. for me, there's just something that felt like this might have worked better in a different setting. I don't think I fully articulated how I felt that like in that statement. Mm-hmm. But for me, I kept getting drawn out of the film because I felt like this is a play. This is a play. This isn't mm-hmm. like a this isn't working for me on a film standpoint. Hmm. I could see that. But there were a lot of impactful moments in it. I definitely I'm going to quote Jason here. I saw what they were trying to do. <laughs> um, no, I definitely saw the intention mm-hmm. in a lot of it, but this just didn't work for me in the end. So what you're trying to say is uh, one star, no actual vampires. <laughs> that- this shit. No vampires in the damn movie. No, for letterboxing it, and this is going to sound harsh, but this is just for me. It's a two for me. Wow. Because okay. it just didn't work for me. No. It didn't work on the same level that it seemed to work mm. for you. I respect it. For me, a two-star review is like, it had some things I thought were cooler that I liked, but I know I'll probably never watch it again. That's fair. That's very fair. Like That that to me is like a two. I would If somebody asked me, should I watch this movie, I really need to know you and your tastes before I tell you to watch it. Mm-hmm. Like This is not something that I would even remotely tell somebody who's a little more, this sounds douchey, but a little more into mainstream stuff. Mm-hmm. God, no. And like, it is very art house in style. It's and super execution. artsy, you know, but like just something about it didn't play with me the way I think it, it did with you guys. Okay. And I right. didn't. I'm just, did it not, because you mentioned that you think it worked better as a play. I almost feel like. Did it keep you at a distance? Did you just not feel like you were drawn into the story? I don't think I was drawn into the story enough. And a lot of it, I think, was editing. Mm-hmm. Really? Hmm. This movie was edited very artsy. And I think sure, that I mean, it's very, it's very, there, it's yeah. very classically made, right. which is uh, something I love about this movie. So, I love the old classic type films. For, you know? And I think it's just something about the way the film was pieced together just didn't hit me. Did the, it strike you as being artificial? No. Okay. It just struck me as being a little disjointed at times. Mm-hmm. Like there were so many different plots happening mm-hmm. that it almost felt like none of them fully came together for me. Okay. But, I can see that too because I did mention earlier the whole feeling of like with that fetus thing. I was like, does this need to be in here or not? What's he trying to say? And then you know, we I reached a conclusion. I think you guys both did, but I could see too for some people like the little parts they don't really like super gel in the same way. And that could be what it is for me. Like I definitely see the appeal of this movie, and I mm. see the the allure that someone would want like. I know who I can recommend this movie to. Mm-hmm. Like I'm obsessed with David Lynch, so when it comes to like, does this need to be in here? I'm like, I don't care. Whatever, <laughs> it's cool. Exactly. exactly. Like, cool. if okay. I know somebody, if it feels right. It's yeah. right. I, if I know somebody is a fan of David Lynch or a fan of art house, I can easily recommend this movie, and I can feel comfortable recommending oh, this yeah. movie, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that it's good. So you're saying it was too highbrow for you? Is yeah, that what you're exactly. <laughs> it was that you know, it was this, it was on that elevated horror level that I couldn't get myself to. <laughs> but I don't want to say that this movie is not good because I don't think that's a fair thing to say about a lot of other movies. It I just didn't work for you. It didn't work for me. Okay, no, it's fine. And so, but I could see this working for a lot of people. Well, that is this is right, kind of. From the very few reviews I've looked at for this movie, it is night and day. Yeah. People either hate this movie or they love it. And you're not coming down with the hate No, side, I don't think it... I don't hate it at all. It's also not like a glowing recommendation from you, necessarily. This is, this is exactly like Dustin said. This is a movie that I'm happy to have seen. Right. 
I'll probably never watch this movie again. <laughs> I'll watch it again in another 25 years. See where I am. <laughs> I know right after we watched it, I popped on Letterboxd, and like the first review was this like very pretentious one-star review, and I was just like, yo, man, screw this guy. <laughs> what are he saying? Did he even watch it? Like, come on. Right, right. It, it just, I think for, I don't know, just for some of the themes that it was going for didn't connect with me as well as I think mm-hmm. it might have for others. Maybe you're more mentally stable than you think. <laughs> <laughs> let's not let's not throw that around. Because um, <laughs> so, I really related to this movie, man. <laughs> I, you want to see this frog I found outside? <laughs> so definitely, I would say that if you are into this type of film, I can easily say that you sh- that you could watch it and you would really enjoy it. Right. Also, I think to talk about how we watched it, Arrow does have a streaming service. Yep. Um, it's super cheap. Five bucks, right? But it also looked really good. I thought the picture was yeah. pretty great. It did. Um, and it, but uh, also you can get 30-day free trial of Arrow. Um, I guess I did it through my Roku thing. So. Yeah. But prepare yourself if you're only doing the trial because there's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah, yeah. they really did a lot of good but stuff. But I was really <laughs> impressed with that, though, like the amount of stuff that's on there. So you've got 30. It's unlike the others that are like, seven-day free trial, figured out, fuck off kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got 30 days. So if you go on there to watch Reflecting Skin, hang out. There's a bunch of other cool stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I could see this being – I understand it's cult status. I get it. It's got a blue I, – I don't have it yet because it's kind of pricier. It's, I didn't recognize the label that had yeah. it. Do we have to puke up a shot if uh, you don't have the blue? Ew. <laughs> well, I, I, did, I did go by Passion of Darkly Noon, which was released on blue by Arrow. So. Okay, sure. It, it equals out. I'll balance it there. You think Arrow would have one in the works or something? Maybe it's a rights thing. Or yeah. Something. Or maybe we're going to find out after we've recorded this that it's <laughs> yeah, coming out. Yeah, it's going to blow up. And then no, every, oh, like, Rue Morgue's going to do a, a write up about this film. Two and months later, the, the ours new, will drop. Uh, 4K box set. Yeah. And all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. Okay. That's. All right. All right. It's fair. I didn't butt yeah. her. You did not butt her, right? No, not at all. Oh, okay. Not at all. It's good sometimes, too, to have very differing opinions. Because if someone's checking us out to find out about this movie, they're going to get different perspectives. Yeah, this definitely is a movie, uh, like, it's not for everyone. You need to have the guy on there who's the lowbrow, you know, who... <laughs> well, it's just good to have different takes and different You're opinions. Lowbrow. I mean, fuck, I quoted Airplane on this episode. So <laughs> Airplane is awesome, all right? Airplane is I'm not going to say Airplane is highbrow, but <laughs> it's great, though. Anyway... Uh, so I think it's your pick next. Yes, time, right? it is. And you know, I think about us doing this in rounds in a way because it always starts with you, Michael, and then I'm like the tail end, and then it starts a new round. I'm the sandwich meat. So <laughs> if, we, if we think about what we've done recently, we've got Saint Maud. We've now had reflecting skin, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I think the reflecting skin, if it came out today, it would have been an A24 release. I agree. Yeah, it's got that same vibe. I, I even felt some you know little parallels between saint Maud, and so i had a lot of ideas in mind but i think we should just make us a little like emotional trauma a24 trifecta uh sandwich you know so we had a24 film reflecting skin and i'm going to give us another a24 film that's not so it's a little it leans a little more black comedy but uh we're gonna do 2018's under the silver lake Cool. I looked this one up when you asked if I'd seen it. Uh, it's directed by David Robert Mitchell, who everyone is going to know for It Follows. Yeah, that's that's a good one. This is more of like a very I love it follows. This is a very like Lynchian inspired neo noir kind of thing. Andrew right. Garfield too, though, right? Yeah, Andrew Garfield's the lead. If you love him, check it out because you get to see quite a bit of him. Is this streaming anywhere for, for people to uh, to watch? It was on Prime. I don't know if it's still on there or not, okay. but it should be somewhere. 
cool. Okay, well, I'm excited. Now, I'm anxious to check this out. Yeah, we'll, I'm excited to be the other bun in your A24 yep. sandwich. <laughs> we'll, we'll dig in next time and complete this A24 sandwich. Love this sandwich. elevated horror. This is now the elevated horror exposure. <laughs> and I promise next time, I'll when it comes back around to me, I'll bring something trashy. All right, all right. I'll put that, I'll yeah. put, I'll put that out there. Trash. Nice. Sounds All right. good. Well, as always, thanks for uh, listening. You guys have been <laughs> hanging out with us on Genre Exposure. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Take care. <laughs>